The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. Today on Navigating the Cancer Maze, I'm speaking with Dr. Julie Cruz, who's a PhD in business ethics and who's worked with three universities in Western Australia, Edith Cowan, Curtin and the University of Western Australia. And this includes managing undergraduate and postgraduate courses in human resource management, business ethics and corporate governance. She has a doctorate Uh, which is from Curtin Graduate School of Business, a Master of Industrial Relations, Bachelor of Arts and a Bachelor of Education. Now there's a twofold reason for my invitation for having Julie on the show today. Number one is that for some time Julie and I have been in discussion about the issue of ethics in cancer medicine. In particular, ethics for cancer patients, which we'll talk about in depth today. And as well, Julie is a competitor in this year's New York Marathon. She's actually running to raise funds for the Grace Schooler Institute. So welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze, Dr. Julie Cruz. Thank you, Grace, and it's uh, delightful to be Okay, Julie, uh, might be good if you could just move a little closer to your microphone. Um, Might hold it, I think. Yeah, it could be a good idea. Um, Can you share with us your um, interest, how your interest was actually sparked to study and qualify in ethics? It's not everyone's kind of uh, thing to do or cup of tea, as we say. What was it that really initiated your interest? actually for me to be involved in this area and I suppose language is an interesting thing because often you're involved in something without having the words to describe it and so I've always really been aware about concepts to do with fairness and justice and integrity and I guess to use an Aussie expression um, you know we'd say authenticity now but uh, you know in Australia we say someone that's been you know fair dinkum and uh, we know where they're coming from. So all of those things have always been important to me. Um, I suppose um, the interest came to me increasingly once I went into the workplace and just my observations and the things that mattered to me were about fairness of how employees were treated and also my attention 
and after quite some time I realised that all the workplaces that worked well and had great cultures and people wanted to stay in had a lot to do with human behaviour and individuals and particularly the behaviour of individuals who are in leadership roles. And so that was sort of, I started to think about that and uh, my study of course exposed me to all sorts of things. Um, and my, my doctoral thesis was actually in the area of ethics and leadership and that's where I really got down to the nuts and bolts of it and I asked the uh, 80 CEOs in two different states in Australia about, you know, what, you know, everyone spoke about ethics and leadership and indeed particularly uh, it was emphasised and uh, some of the listeners in America you know the um, Exxon um, disasters and some of the things that have happened in the corporate world and it's happened here too in Australia in plenty of uh, cases um, and I asked them what an ethical leader looks like and I talked to them about their ethical dilemmas and the values that define their, the way that they handle their dilemmas and one of the things that came up which I think is a very powerful one uh, that relates to our conversation today is managing relationships. That was really, really important in how they manage all of their dilemmas in the workplace. So I guess that's, that's sort of how I came to um, really be involved in it. But my personal interest in health has been with me for many, many years. Um, you know, the interrelationship between the mind and the body. And I've always been interested in um, health matters. And of course, increasingly in my area of ethics, um, uh, the, the way that this intersects with uh, health. So that brings me to today, really. Hmm, good. Um, actually, we will touch on that subject of communication and relationship a little bit later because I think that's very uh, important in looking at our subject matter for today. And you mentioned in your publicity um, comments in your run for the New York Marathon that uh, you're now seeing many of your friends diagnosed with cancer. Um, so before we begin, our, uh, we begin our study here in looking at what really makes ethics tick, if you like, um, can you share with us... Uh, how the experience has impacted you of watching the people around you uh, being diagnosed with cancer? Yes, um, it, it, it's been quite powerful, really. Um, I lost two very close friends while I was writing up my PhD. Um, one of them had a brain tumour and been diagnosed to death. He lasted eight weeks. And more recently, another friend um, was diagnosed with lung cancer and she lasted six months. So um, both of their deaths had a, a, a huge impact on me and I was able to, of course, observe all the other things that happen when someone is diagnosed, the impact on family and friends and all of the things that, that happen. And, uh, you know, I guess um, the thing that was very powerful for me was... Um, where did they get their courage to accept the situation that they found themselves in? And uh, that, that was uh, one of my main thoughts at the time. Um, I mean, it, it, it hasn't all been um, negative, of course, um, because I don't think in Western culture we do death well, so to speak. Um, and so uh, that was very difficult. It was my first uh, real experience, actually, um, 
is when it seems like this happened. Um, I had a framework, and that was my um, training in ethics, but of course that was in business ethics. It wasn't uh, associated with uh, this type of situation. So I guess the words that came up, or what I experienced, were highly emotional things, of course, because you are you have a connection and a relationship with these people on a personal level. But I think it's um, fear is the first one. Uh, you know, not knowing, losing control, and um, and I think also, um, you know, what I heard and saw these friends go through and Stephen going through now is that level of trust. You know, where do and who do they place their trust in for uh, decisions and what they're going to do with the future, and a sense of urgency and time is the other thing and choices, and hopefully. For most of us, um, I think that what you know, what is ethics uh, really uh, for the listeners? It comes down to uh, principles, and the first one is what ought one. To That's what ethics is about. It's about making decisions, which are not easy decisions to make sometimes, um, and that's the central question: what ought I do? And unfortunately. Uh, many people, when they're diagnosed with cancer, are propelled to answer those big questions um, that perhaps, uh, you know, they thought they might have some time to contemplate uh, down the track. And I think in all of the cases that people have uh, had cancer, they said the positive thing is that re established to them what was important in their life, that they were able to look at things uh, more profoundly um, and with some that because there's a sense of urgency. So I guess ethics in, in, in summing up it is about relationships, it's about those personal and professional relationships and of course one of those professional relationships is with medical practitioners. Um, and being and struggling with that idea of developing a well informed conscience, you know, knowing that uh, you've had to make choices and also live with those choices and accepting the cost of, of the choice of situation that you're in. Um, and being true to the idea of who you are and being authentic and standing by the values, all of those things are really important, I think, mm, I think you, you hit on a very important one there, and that's uh, the decisions and the choices and yeah. uh, being able to accept those consequences it puts people in a in a state of great dilemma um, yes. at that particular and I think that, time. As I said a little earlier, Grace, time seems to be there's this sense of urgency. Um, and I mean, obviously, it is not my area of expertise, but this is what I've heard from the conversations: that sense of having to make a decision. Um, and I think you know what ought I do? It's a it's a, a simple but very profound question. And when you're facing really difficult and challenging situations, and I don't think there's one more challenging facing your own mortality, there couldn't be. I don't think there could be. Um, you know, and for many, it's cancer. For other people, uh, you know, these are questions that you know define who we are, our character. Yeah, they're the big live questions and one question uh, that comes up for myself with patients very often is 
how shall I live? And, um, you know, it, it has to be reassessed constantly too. How shall I live now? Because the, uh, the ground keeps changing beneath one's feet when you've got a diagnosis of cancer. You know, um, thank God and touch wood, I hadn't been in that situation. Uh, but, you know, with, with statistics and when you're around, it is, I found it as a friend, a very confronting. It's a very, um, and you, you have to work out, you know, relationship changes, the people change, uh, and you do all. I mean, just last weekend I drove down the southwest of, uh, where I live with two other close friends of over 30 years to visit a friend, a survivor, who's still going through treatment. And once we broke the ice, we realised that, you know, she's still the same her, but, uh, you know, knowing exactly what that first uh, meeting was going to be like post-diagnosis was, um, you know, we were all sort of not overly concerned because we've known each other as friends for a long time, but I guess we all had... um, Yeah, we're actually coming up, would you believe, to our first break. Um, And I think that's something that perhaps is even surprising for someone like yourself with the training that you have, um, the confrontational nature of uh, approaching someone. You know, what do you say? What do you do? And this person's still the same person. (laughs) Well, they are, but, you know, there's, there's, all, there's all sorts of things. I think um, for us, humour was uh, central to uh, our interaction with her a couple of weeks ago. But I think, you know, it is very, very important. It depends on what the nature of the relationship was before the diagnosis. Mm, that's very true. You really have to be constantly aware of that um, and... Uh, you know, let that define it rather than try and do something different. You know, just be yourself, and that can be hard in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take our first break now on navigating the cancer maze, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the very important issue of patient ethics. We often hear about medical ethics and the way that patients interact with uh, the medical profession uh, and they with them. We're going to take this a little more in depth with the patient side and what uh, what's involved in the whole area of patient ethics. So we'll be back soon on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G dash clinic dot com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. 
Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Gray Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Gray Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at grayscholar.com or visit their website at grayscholarinstitute.com. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Today we're talking with Julie Cruz, who is an ethicist, and we're talking about the very important subject of uh, cancer patients and medical ethics. So, um, ethical guidelines for cancer patients. Uh, Patients are now surviving longer with cancer and perhaps becoming more dependent on support group systems rather than medical systems. And I think we've seen this over the years as being a bit of a changeover. Um, What do you think about this? What do you see as the upside and the downside of the self-help and support group movement and particularly looking at this through the eyes of an ethicist? Very interesting question. I think um, I think a very positive thing, Grace. I certainly see uh, in you know the wider community and specifically um, where I live myself. There's there's support groups, I guess, mushrooming, uh, not just face to face where people can actually go, but of course, thanks to technology, support groups online have uh, blossomed as well for almost every ailment that one can think of. Mm. Um, So I think the most positive thing is that people who have a condition and people who have a life-threatening condition uh, who have cancer uh, can receive support, advice from others who may have been in the same situation or been closely associated with a family member. And I think that brings some very, um, I think, important emotional... um, support systems and people can feel as though they can go to a community of people that can support them and understand what they may be going through. Um, I think also another important um, plus for this um, is that uh, it allows an, an avenue for people to go to besides family and close friends because although family and close friends may have the best of intentions, um, I think it, it can often act as a circuit breaker if they can go to people that maybe have that um, length from the family dynamics because, as you would know, Greg, far better than I, uh, cancer doesn't just involve the person who's been diagnosed. It's a whole series of 
like the um, stone in the pond and the ripples, it, it can affect a lot of different people. And so I think that's why the support group can provide that circuit breaker for people. Um, and, you know, so that, and it can also, um, they don't have to, they can be perhaps more themselves because I think there's a tendency when you're involved in the family dynamics that you feel that you maybe have to present a particular face to a family member. Uh, so I think that is the strength. Um, it can raise awareness about um, a condition. Um, it may, uh, it just assists on people feeling that there is somewhere they can go, whether it be at the end of a phone, on the um, computer, or indeed um, in the community itself. Um, and it's also a place for family members to go. It's not just the person who's been uh, diagnosed. So that, that would be, in general, I would think, the essence of the upside. Um, but I think um, the downside is um, all groups have dynamics and not all motives uh, of some individuals in the group can be, um, you know, a genuine. There can be conflict in the group. Mm. You know, you have egos in groups. It's like workplaces, I'm sure. All the listeners, you know, know um, who are in the workplace each day can attest to that. So I don't think just because it, um, the support group involves people that are ill that it's all going to work well. There'll be, you know, relationships within the support group that are in competition with each other, all of the same dynamics. Um, and so also, too, the authenticity of the information being uh, given to people, uh, maybe of a personal nature and that their experience, but each person's an individual and what may have suited one person is not going to suit another. And so if the information doesn't align with uh, the treatment that the patient's receiving or the advice they're receiving from their medical practices, that may raise some stress levels, I guess, for them um, and anxiety about, you know, what credence to place in what the support group is, is giving them. And so I think that's, that's the downside. Um, and I know we're going to touch on it uh, in another question, but I think um, the certainly uh, the um, groups online, um, uh, I think, present to me uh, the biggest um, uh, conflict or um, challenge that we have. Uh, because you can be anything you like online. Mm. So, but that, that, that's, I'd say, would be in general terms. Um, I think support groups are a wonderful thing um, for people because some people don't have families or people they feel they can turn to. Um, and I think they mm. have a very important role in the community. Mm, and it's the most important time to find someone that you can turn to because illness, whether it be cancer or any other life-challenging illness, is a very lonely business. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, um, for sure. That's right. So, yes, I think um, it's interesting how many support groups have grown over, over the years. Yeah, look, it's extraordinary. I remember when uh, we started our support groups back in the early 80s and in particular, actually, the breast cancer support groups. There were basically uh, none. And within the first year when I wrote my book, Women of Silence, which talked about uh, the experiences of support groups, uh, we had this kind of burgeoning, um, you know, uh, 
there were there were 24 groups started within the year and then that just grew and grew and grew um, and, and I think also to support groups um, have a role in demystifying things mm. them out in the open and um, perpetuating what's real about somebody's situation and I think people are, are reluctant to tell their stories and storytelling I think is a very very important thing because it allows people to um, express how they're feeling about a situation and have the confidence that there are a group of people that understand. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, how important, uh, as an ethicist, how important do you believe is the practice of ethics for patients in terms of their recovery? Um, how would you load that? Well, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. I've, I have observed um, that um, if we go back to, you know, talking about uh, ethics, um, it's that being able to be true to the idea of who you are and what you stand for and being able to live the values that are dear to you. I think in somebody's recovery, um, if, if when anybody's presented with a challenge in their life, if, if you're going against what's true to your nature in terms of what you believe in and your sense of yourself, I think in terms of recovery from any crisis that you're having, and most particularly if you're going to have a life-threatening condition that you are trying to deal with and manage, that that's another that's a dimension that is if you have to be concerned about that. If you're going against who you are, uh, maybe to please other people in the situation, or you're not doing what really fits with what's comfortable for you, I think that's going to uh, present a lot of stress and that's the last thing that you need when you would be dealing with something as serious as uh, a life-threatening illness. And um, I think it's also intricately linked uh, with that sense of empowerment. Uh, if If you're in charge, I suppose, of your values and your beliefs and you're basing your decisions on those values and beliefs, then those choices for you will fit comfortably. You'll be able to live with those choices. Um, so it's about being able to take control of the situation to the best of your ability. And one way of doing that is making informed choices based on who you are and what fits best with you. Um, and, you know, being able to live with those consequences of, of your choices rather than being, you know, uh, allow, giving yourself over to the um, to your whole management over to somebody else. But having said that, there's the real, realistic situation where people are so incapacitated and so ill that they can't make informed choices and that's, of course, a very, very important role of an advocate that you can trust. Mm, good point, good point. Um, yeah, I think we see that quite uh, quite a bit. I certainly see it in my practice where someone's kind of got to that point where they're quite exhausted, they're fatigued, they're in overload, they're traumatised, and yes, well, it's I mean, I know all too I'm much. Like when I'm sleep deprived, so... <laughs> um, I can't imagine uh, what it's like trying to make choices when you're when you're ill and that's why you've got to treat 
trust somebody um, to be able to be your advocate, um, uh, I think, in these situations. Yeah, it's really important. Julie, I'm going to ask you um, a few words because they're words that come up in the uh, in the sense of talking about ethics and I'd just like to get your response uh, one by one to these words um, as they apply to patient ethics. First one is authenticity, um, definition, and what does that mean for you? Well, it's a word that we've been hearing a lot more now, how to lead an authentic life or, you know, um, uh, being true to yourself. And I think what authenticity really means is to be it's a considered effort in acting out your values. Uh, we can say what we like, but it's what we do that really counts. And what you do is so closely linked to people's perception and trust of you. And so authenticity is, you know, living out your values, um, acting out what you believe in, so that it's one thing to say, you know, oh, I believe this or I'm, I'm this. You know, you may believe in kindness, but then you need to demonstrate your behaviour towards others and to yourself uh, what kindness is in small because I think what happens is we do underestimate and certainly leaders underestimate this the power of their actions our actions do really do speak louder than words and that's what authenticity is about trying to live the moment by moment of your life um, in a real way Mm, that's a great definition. Picking up whether you're authentic or not. Yeah. I think absolutely. Uh, Julie, we're going to take a break here. Uh, would you believe we're through the uh, the next segment? I, I can't believe how fast these segments go well, when we're talking enough. about interesting subjects. <laughs> um, so we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to continue with a few more um, words that I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on. So listeners, don't go away. We're going to be back shortly with Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, talking today with Julie Cruz. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute, as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Scholar Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollerinstitute.com or email institute at gracegollar.com. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G dash clinic dot com. 
or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back. Grace Gawler here. We're navigating the cancer maze this week with Julie Cruz, who is an ethicist. Um, Before the break, we were talking about authenticity and getting some definitions. Julie, what's the definition of integrity and what does it actually mean to put it into practice? Well, integrity, I mean, the things we're talking about and the concepts we're talking about today go back to the ancient Greek times. You know, 3,000 years ago, and integrity means, in essence, wholeness. It's all of those values and all of those things that hold the person together and defines the character of that person. And it's what others and we recognise when a perfect person is being authentic, and that the person that acts with integrity acts out their values in a consistent way. So... Of course, an integrity, if you're acting out in an authentic way in the values that you hold dear, in a consistent way, then what actually builds up is trust. You, and of course, trust is, I call trust, the glue of a relationship. And the thing about acting with integrity is it can be difficult because not everybody will act towards you with integrity. And of course, it's human nature to want, you know, to not do the right thing sometimes because you just feel like that's what you'd like to retaliate with. So sometimes um, we have to act with integrity. We don't have to. We choose to act with integrity even though the outcomes in a situation don't work in our favour. We do it because we believe it's the right thing to do. And I think that's a really difficult thing to come to terms with. Mm, It's a very important one. You know, if you do the right thing, it doesn't always end up in great results for you. And, you know, um, and I think that's a, that's a really hard, it's been personally a difficult one for me to um, you know, do. And sometimes you see it in workplaces. I'm sure you've seen it in situations with people suffering from cancer. Mm. Um, you know, just because somebody's sick doesn't mean to say they're necessarily um, a person who acts with integrity. Yeah, that's the other side, isn't it? You've pointed out quite a few times this personal values issue, which uh, certainly I think is very, very important for cancer patients. 
um, as they're trying to navigate the cancer maze. Let's look at congruence. What does congruence mean? That's interesting. That was one of the um, that was one of, as, similar to one of the themes that came up in my doctoral thesis uh, when I asked uh, all my participants, uh, you know. Uh, what the, did a person look like when they were acting with integrity or they were ethical? You know, there's different ways of defining it. And they said it in a number of ways, but um, when words and actions were congruent or aligned, and I called it value alignment, and mm. um, what one says and what one does, when, it, when it's lined up, and the closer it is to being lined up, the more authentic the person will be perceived to be. If you, if all the listeners think of somebody they don't trust, for example, or they don't feel comfortable in their company, the chances are that's a person who may say things, but they don't follow through with the doing. Or if they do, it's not consistent. And if it's not consistent, don't trust them because they don't deliver. You can, you know, you can be let down by people on occasion, but when you're consistently let down, you expect to be let down, so you don't trust that person's integrity. So that's what uh, congruent. It's really basically as simply as what one says versus what one does. It needs to be aligned and congruent. Mm, great. Um, oh gosh, I can see that has so many uh, ways of applying to uh, cancer recovery. Um, with relationships with practitioners as well. Can we look at honesty, um, honesty to oneself and to others as a part of ethics and healing? Well, this is a really interesting one, the concept of honesty. I don't think if anybody is asked, you know, is it important to be honest with yourself and with others that people ever say no. They say, yes, honesty is really important. We tend to agree on this. But what I've found over the years is that what comes up is what I would call conditional honesty. It is very complex because let's face it, we, we all know people who like to be told everything, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, everything. They like it all on the table. There are other people who actually don't want to know. They, they may say, yes, I want to know the truth but they may be very angry when you do tell them the truth because they actually, it, it raises things in their life that they don't want to know about. So if you apply this to somebody who's been diagnosed with a life-threatening disease, um, I think that's a very, very challenging and complex uh, characteristic which um, the patient and the practitioner uh, has to weigh up because, you know, some people want... All I know, for, if I use myself as an example, I'm one of, I suppose because I'm a researcher, I want to know every detail of options and I do my research, etc. Whereas, you know, my closest friend had to have major surgery about a year ago and I said, well, did you ask them this or this? And she said, no, they know what they're doing. I'm, I trust them, that's fine. <laughs> and it's all worked out, but I couldn't, I couldn't uh, approach it like that. But... Everybody has to do it in their own way, but honesty, it, it, it is a tricky one. Um, you've got, if you don't want to know the answer and able to manage the answer, you don't ask for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to be prepared for what somebody may be telling you. Yeah, I guess that takes a, a fair bit of uh, personal strength and good yeah. boundaries too. Yes, yes. So it's very, very personal 
education skills to assess that. And I don't mean by that not to disclose what's important, but it's, it's, it's in the doing. Mm. Um, let's. Uh, we've got two more here, so I'm going to put these two together: disclosure and communication. You talked about importance of relationship and a healthy relationship um, as a part of ethics. So, what about disclosure and communication from your point of view? Well, I think uh, um, you're not going to disclose. I think if you're, if you're you're not going to disclose uh, if a trusting um, level of communication is not established. I think the communication has to come first. It's so important. And you're more likely to disclose to people that you trust and you feel comfortable with and that have an empathetic and considered listening style. You know, it's not just about what's said. It's also about what's not said. Mm. Because um, cultural elements come into this too, I believe, increasingly. Um, that uh, other, some people um, don't disclose things uh, for a number of reasons. It, it, it may be that they don't realise it's important to disclose certain things. They, you don't know what you don't know. That's a very so good point. It becomes really, really important for the person who, the practitioner, as a professional who is communicating, uh, to be very clear about what's required and the importance of what's being disclosed and why. Um, because if you hold back, uh, if you know that you should be disclosing something and you're holding it back, then that's going to have consequences for you as a patient and certainly it's going to have consequences for the type of action and recommendation that the practitioner will be considering. Mm. So they can only make a, uh, um, a recommendation based on a whole lot of factors and one of those is what you yeah, it certainly is. And uh, that trust factor, I think you've, uh, there's two things here in our conversation you've trust, um, or t- touched on a lot, not trust on a lot. Um, and that is the trust factor and the personal values aspect. Um, well, I'll move on to my next question because it's kind of related to this. Um, what would you include as key ethical issues then, um, given what we've discussed so far, for cancer patients to address? You know, we often hear, uh, as I said before, about the ethics of the medical profession and bioethics and all kinds of things. But this is kind of bringing it back into the realm of the patient and the patient's responsibility. Um, so what would you include as key ethical issues for cancer patients to address? Well, I think, um, like all situations that uh, we find ourselves in as human beings, I think um, it's a very um, complex thing because your health is so individual and your the nature you have with yourself and, and your health and your practices is also very individual. But I think um, a person has to take responsibility uh, to be informed, and to, and I think I mentioned earlier, to have a sense of power of, and be involved. In, and I mean, that, you know, as a patient, you're not the expert. You know, when we something goes wrong with our health, but I'm really amazed um, to give sort of a, a, an example that people will spend more time uh, in researching and 
type of car they're going to buy or a purchase or, you know, something like that. And yet when it comes, let's face it, what binds us as human beings, one aspect or one gift we all have is our life. And if you're going to have that threatened by a, a life-threatening disease, you want to know as much as you can to, to feel comfortable about the choices you make. And you have to do that in conjunction with and in consultation with your medical profession. Um, and, uh, you know, and you have to at some stage trust in whose hand you're going to place trust. But you, that relationship has to evolve uh, because they require your ongoing cooperation and trust and disclosure and honesty about what's happening so that uh, they can give you the best treatment and the best advice um, for your situation. So I think that taking personal responsibility is really, really important. Um, Great, Julie. We're going to have to stop you there. We're, would you believe we have come to another um, break on navigating the cancer maze? We're going to pick up with that issue when we come back. So um, if you can hang around for a while, that would be fantastic. And we'll take that up where we left off. We'll be back shortly on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options in implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Scholar Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracescholarinstitute.com or email institute at gracescholar.com. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're back with Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, and we've had a really interesting discussion today about ethics, in particular patient ethics, 
and uh, we have Dr Julie Cruz with us who is an ethicist uh, she's made that her life's work. Um, Julie, I'd like to touch on in our last segment today um, the unwritten or unspoken contract that we have between often a health professional and a patient um, where there's, there's a lot of subtleties and a lot of things that are presumed or not said. Can I just have your thoughts around that kind of contract that one makes um, from both sides of the camp, from the health professional and from the patient? Yes, it's an interesting one, isn't it? If you think about different professions, you go and see a professional and you actually map out quite explicitly uh, you know, what your expectations are going to be in, uh, you know, you're going there for their services. Well, I, I guess what changes here is that um, a medical practitioner is dealing with the most intimate and valuable asset that we've all got, and that's our health. And so I think people perhaps feel as though they can't um, treat it in the same way as any other contract. It really does come down to building a relationship and people don't express what it is that they um, need or want and there's not sort of some mutual communication, then there's going to be what we call in the workplace a psychological contract where you're going to have an expectation of someone that is not going to be the same as what they have of you. And I think um, at the end of the day, a medical practitioner is human. And yes, they are highly skilled and they certainly have a, a place, uh, but it's complex and I think it's, um, it's not acknowledged that um, there needs to be, we need to be clear on what our needs are, and, but we also need to fulfill the obligations that we have as a patient if we're in that situation. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very delicate balance, I think. And um, you, you really need an advocate, I think, in some situations, and trust. You do have to build a trusting relationship, and you have to give over that trust to that person. And there's an expression uh, that I love called, and it goes something like this, trust arrives by foot, but it leads by horseback. So if you've built up a, a professional uh, trust uh, with, and with your health, with a health practitioner, then you're more likely to feel comfortable about um, uh, asking questions um, and uh, having a better relationship building that person. And then, of course, if, if there's conflict um, uh, which resides in, in that relationship, you need to establish the nature of the conflict because it might not be around the treatment. It may be that that situation you're in is, is being building up something which has nothing to do with your disease. It's actually um, built up something that might be happening at home. Uh, but to, you know, a practitioner won't know this and that it will appear as though it's to do with your treatment and in fact it's something outside of that. You've touched on uh, trust there, which is a really important subject uh, once again. And in terms of uh, trusting uh, one's particularly oncologist or medical practitioner, there seems to be something that's been lost in that relationship. Um, yes, and I think, well, I mean, if I think back to my grandmother's day, um, you know, uh, doctors were God and you gave yourself over and you didn't... 
ask any questions whatsoever. Um, that's down the other end of the continuum. I think now, you know, there is so much information out there, but that has to be dealt with very carefully. And I, I think, you know, if we're looking at the internet and technology, um, you know, we have to be able to sift through what is opinion and what is fact and what's been empirically proven uh, and has um, a lot of backing, scientific backing behind it. Uh, everyone on the internet has an opinion. Um, whether or not that's, uh, you know, a good thing, um, you can be anything you want online and it can be very, very overwhelming to get to information that's correct. And that leads into my next question, actually, about social media, blogging. Very, very popular now with patients getting blow-by-blow descriptions of every treatment and and what people are doing. Can you comment on that? Um, We've got about four minutes left in our interview today, so um, I think it's a very important one because this influences a lot of other patients. Yes, well, I think um, people are going back to stories. Uh, People like reading others, uh, their stories and their experiences. But of course, um, in, uh, you know, if it's, I mean, I'm amazed, I mean, teaching uh, Gen Y, I'm amazed what they put on their Facebook pages. And I say to them, that's up there forever. <laughs> um, and blogs and tweets. Um, again, you can craft what you put onto your blog and onto your internet page. Uh, you can be anyone you like, and that can... Certainly, um, you know, you could be projecting things that you're not exactly being dishonest. And I'm talking about if you're, you know, you're talking about your journey of being ill. It's not that you're being dishonest, but you might be inadvertently misrepresenting treatments or experiences which other people are reading and take as fact. Um, and I think if you just take uh, blogs and web pages for what they are somebody's um, personal story and information um, and it might not apply to you I think that would be a a good guideline but it's fraught with difficulty I think Um, and not not everyone that's on the web is authentic but it's very hard to decide who is and who isn't. Mm. It's quite a new phenomena, and we really sort of don't have the the training in in many aspects to to deal with that. No, no. People, uh, some people are on uh, the social media all of the time. It defines their life. Um, and, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's not going to decrease, I don't think, particularly amongst the young. Mm. Well, we are uh, coming to the end of our time today with Navigating the Cancer Maze. We've got about two minutes left uh, in the radio airtime, Julie. Um, tell us a little bit about the marathon. I'll just mention if people go to graceGawlerInstituteFundraiser.com, you'll be able to read a lot about Julie Cruz and her efforts in this year's New York Marathon. So uh, tell us a little bit about the marathon just to finish up. Well, just very simply, I've always wanted to do a marathon. I've been a jogger for years, but, and uh, just in some uh, wonderful ways, um, I've... Uh, I love metaphors and I think, you know, um, I, me going in this marathon will be nothing compared to what somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer and the things that they have to do. I'll be finished after 42.2 k and that's it. Someone with cancer it profoundly affects their life and the lives of those around them. So 
I want to finish without injury. I certainly want to raise lots of money for the Grace School or Institute. Um, and I feel that I would have learned quite a lot about myself as, as being in this. And it, it, it sort of goes back to, I'll just uh, finish, um, you know, one of the uh, my favourite expressions is the longest journey of any person is the journey inward. And, uh, and I think there's richness in all our experiences, both happy and, and sad. Um, and so all the choices we make in our lives, no matter how small or large, they will form that you know, wonderful web of uh, the quality and nature of our lives. And I think um, every day for people living with cancer, I don't think I've ever heard one person say, well, they certainly didn't want the cancer, but what they've learned from that has been a life enriching experience. And um, I've certainly gained a lot from being around people who have had Fantastic. I think your contribution today has been really valuable. It's something that's not talked about a lot. I think it's something that's very important uh, in cancer patients' recovery. And the marathon aspect is a great uh, note to finish on. Uh, you wrote, cancer is a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that's a terrific note to end today. Thank you, Julie, for coming online with us on navigating the cancer maze. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.